Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for spending some time with us. Full field of candidates will square off next May to try to gain the Republican nomination to run for the state for the Senate seat being vacated by Rob Portman. Democrats, of course, will be in that primary too, and the top vote getters will face off in November's general election. We're talking to all the candidates on the landscape today. We're glad to be joined by Bernie Moreno. Bernie is a well-known businessman here in Northeast Ohio, had a series of successful car dealerships, and has now moved on to the tech world, including blockchain. And we're glad you can, you can join us today, Mr. Moreno, for the landscape. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So you, over the years, have been very adamant about backing candidates and putting your money behind them. So what made you decide that you wanted to be the candidate this time? Well, the, the problems have gotten too serious and the uh, candidates haven't kept up with that. So I think the, uh, the country is going off a very dangerous direction. It's a direction I recognize. You know, I grew up uh, surrounded by soci- socialist ideology, uh, whether it's Venezuela or Cuba, now Peru. And um, I know where this movie ends. And I looked at the field of candidates and I see a lot of people who like to talk and nobody who actually likes to do anything about solving the problems that we really need to get solved. And I know I couldn't live with myself if I just sat in the sidelines. So that's why I've uh, jumped into the arena and I'm going to win the seat. So most of your Republican opponents like you have sought President Trump's endorsement and you also have supported his policies. So since you all sort of seem to be together on that, what makes you different than the other Republican candidates? I've actually done the things that, I, that I'm talking about now. So, for example, standing up to China, I refused to sell the Buick Envision because it was a car that was made in China and imported into America and had replaced the factory in Michigan. I, did, I told General Motors, don't ship me those cars. I won't sell them. And I did this way before I had even an inkling of running for office. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Last year, when lockdowns happened, schools were closed. People were told you're essential, you're not essential. Basically, we shut down the greatest economy in the history of America. I spoke out vehemently against that. As you may know, I got a lot of pushback in the press. Uh, Petition got started to throw me off the Metro Health Board. I know firsthand that uh, there was executives in the county that uh, were trying to figure out how to get me off that board. And I did not cave to the the mob. And uh, I was glad I didn't because when I went to the Metro Health Board meetings, The doctors and the nurses pulled me aside to say thank you for standing up and saying the things that we can't say. All of my Republican opponents, every single one of them, stayed silent until they started running for public office. That's the kind of lack of leadership, lack of courage that's made Republican voters just angry and why they want something different. So you've called yourself the Democrats' worst nightmare. Why are you that? Well, because the Democrats uh, love to use identity politics, right? They uh, love to have any conversation around any topic and be able to end it with racist, anti-immigrant, homophobe, transphobe, et cetera. That's what they try to do. With me, they can't say that I hate South American immigrants when I'm calling for, for a strong border. In fact, I call it an invasion. They can't say I hate South Americans. Now, they may have a case and a couple of cousins, but we can talk about that offline. <laughs> but other than that, that's not a case they can make. And also, I'd be the first Hispanic to win statewide. I'd be the first South American-born senator. That's the kind of identity politics that normally the Democrats play. And so they can't use that with me, especially when my opponent in the primaries, uh, the general election is probably going to be Tim Ryan. So they won't be able to play the minority or victim card with me. Uh, You know, I've had to work harder than uh, maybe most people. uh, But you know what? I never viewed myself as a victim, always persevered. Proud to be the largest Hispanic business in the state of Ohio when I was at the peak of my car dealerships. And uh, I'll take that same knowledge and expertise to the U.S. Senate. 
What's the biggest issue facing our current immigration policy? How would you fix it? Well, the whole policy is completely broken. Uh, you know, Biden came in and basically just wanted to reverse everything that President Trump had done. So the stay in Mexico policy, the seek asylum in your home country, uh, finishing the wall, uh, not having uh, uh, the ability to bring unaccompanied minors into the country as a ticket to get in. All those things were working. Uh, Biden just wanted to cave to the radical left and so reverse those policies. And what we've seen is almost two million people come across our southern border illegally into this country. These people are being moved all over the United States. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their intentions are. Hopefully, there's people like my family, although we came here legally, of course, that want a better place and a better home, but we don't know. And that's the problem. We don't know where they're going. So we need to solve that problem as mature adults, which is not normally the conversation that's in D.C. We need to have the border sealed. At the same time, we have to find a path to figure out what to do with the people who are here illegally, whether it's deporting them, giving them taxes, doing some sort of program, but we can't just hide our head in the sands and do nothing. You mentioned the wall. President Trump's opponents would ask this question. When he ran for president, he promised a wall that would be paid for by Mexico. What happened to that wall? Well, the wall, as you know, uh, the president is the king, right? He deals with a House and a Senate. And quite frankly, is very disappointed with the Republicans that were in the House and the Senate during the first two years of the Trump administration. They didn't fight alongside with them. They didn't keep their promise. I, it makes me now understand today in politics that a lot of these politicians on the Republican side are about talking and not actually solving problems. I wonder where that comes from, whether it's uh, well-funded donors that really tell them, hey, you can say whatever you want, but at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, don't actually uh, vote against this or that. So, the, you know, the wall can be paid for by Mexico easily. We get tax remittances. But at the end of the day, that's not the important part of the equation. We have to finish the wall. The wall clearly works. And what's working right now is a, a complete and utter disaster. You said that your top priority is to bring manufacturing back to the state of Ohio. We hear that from a lot of candidates. So how do we make that work? Well, you hear from other candidates. You hear a lot of things from other candidates, don't you? And, and you know, I consider this a very interesting job interview. And here's what I would say. Anybody can talk, right? My dad used to tell me as a kid, talk is cheap, right? But what have you done? I've employed thousands of people here in Ohio. I've turned around businesses. I've built a tech company in Cleveland when it was a lot harder to do that. I look at my opponents, nothing. No track record of ever doing anything about those issues. Me, I try to save the Lordstown plant. I went to General Motors. I presented them an option to produce a, a car sharing service called Cruise. That would be the technology company would be headquartered in Cleveland. We would be the customer of General Motors. They would keep the plant open with the union workers. They'd have two shifts. They would make a car for us. That would be one uniform vehicle. Those are the things that I've done. I've been a big cheerleader for Cleveland. I've brought businesses to Cleveland. My opponents, zero. So that's the, that's the contrast in this election. You know, it used to be so often that in primary elections, you had just a lot of bad choices. Uh, I want to say to the voters of Ohio, you don't have a bad choice anymore. You have somebody who's got a proven track record of cheerleading for Ohio about caring. And more importantly, I don't need this job. I'm not doing this for the salary. You look at my other opponents, I think they're doing it for the job. I think they're doing it for themselves. I'm doing this to give back to the country that gave me every opportunity on earth to succeed. But with the question of manufacturing, can we get that back to Ohio, given the what we have going on with taxes or, 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 or do we have the skilled workers to make that happen here in the state of Ohio? 
we will get it back. We will get our industrial base back. The reality is that our elected officials, both Democrats and Republicans, sold out this country, hollowed out the middle class in exchange for their personal financial benefit and to the destruction of our middle class, built the Chinese middle class up. And we basically have to just say that was a total abomination. We have to bring our industrial base back, starting with steel, semiconductor chips, PPE, pharmaceuticals, and regain energy independence. It's not complicated. Here's what you do. You go to all these countries and you say, listen, we'll buy all kinds of stuff from you. We'll buy all kinds of stuff from you, no problem. But you gotta buy the equal amount of product from us, dollar for dollar. No more trade deficits with any countries. And on those five industries I mentioned, we have to have independence in this country around those industries. And when we do that, not if we do that or can we do that, but when we do that, we will rebuild the middle class in this country. We will rebuild industries here in Ohio. At the end of the day, everything revolves around good paying jobs and strong communities. And that's what we're going to bring back. That's what I'm determined to do over the 12 years that I'll serve in the Senate. You mentioned the 12 years you've said if elected, you would serve two terms and then that's it. So why would that make you a better senator? Because it makes it so that you understand that, uh, you know, to get rid of the swamp, which is the still water, this lack of new thinking, you need new thinking, you need new water to clear out the swamp. And you know what? 12 years is a long time. And I'll serve my country for 12 years. And I hope I inspire, the, inspire other business leaders, other entrepreneurs, other people who've actually made things happen and had accomplishments to run for public office. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a national office. It could be a state office. It could be a local office. We need people who actually have a track record of doing things to get involved in their local communities and really work for this country. But for a brief period of time, this is not a career. Our founders never envisioned politics to be a career. It is a public service. This is a citizen-led government, which is what it was envisioned to be, and we have to get that back. Bernie Moreno joins us today for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Pallotta. Mr. Moreno is running for the Republican nomination to fill the Senate seat that Rob Portman is be stepping down from. He's decided not to run. Let's talk for a moment about Mr. Portman. He said he's not seeking another term in office because of gridlock, and we have to take him at his word. But the possibility also exists that he could have faced a challenger from the right side of the party. Is there still room for a moderate like Rob Portman of the Republican Party? Well, listen, at the end of the day, what we have to do is recognize that we work for the people of Ohio, for all 11 and a half million people of Ohio. And that's what I'll do. Uh, I think this uh, I think the media is really the one that uh, uses terms like moderate or right wing or left wing or centrist. At the end of the day, listen, we have to do the things that improve the lives of the people of Ohio. That's what we have to do. So I'll fight for that. I'll fight for that. I'll fight to bring back the industrial base here. I'll fight for transparency in our elections. I'll fight to make certain that conservative values uh, that are true to our founding principles are what we always have in place in America. I love this country. It's an amazing country. My family came here not by accident, but by desire. And we're honored every single day that America let us in and that I want to be able to contribute to the country. And that's what we've got to do. I think we have to stop fighting with each other. People are just sick of that. At the end of the day, we're all Americans. We all want economic opportunity, prosperity, good schools, and good communities. Let's focus on that and realize that our enemies are off our shore. China is our, very much our strategic enemy. Uh, North Korea, countries that want to prove that democracy doesn't work, 
those are the places that we should be moving our ire to, not each other. And really, at the end of the day, what's happened is politicians have been the one that pitted us against each other and, and pigeonholed us as one way or the other. We should all just identify as Americans, as Ohioans first. You are well known here in Northeast Ohio, but how do you go about getting the rest of the state to find out who Bernie Marino is? Advertising is obviously there, but are there other ways to communicate your message? Well, they're twofold. Number one, you got to do the hard work. This is this is a job interview. And when you do a job interview, you got to show that you're willing to put in the hard work. So we have a great website, BernieMarino.com. If you go on there, it's not just a couple pictures. We have all of our policy positions, our steering committee. We have uh, that what I like to say is the endorsements that really matter, which is videos that from people who actually know me. So that's that's number one. We've traveled the state like crazy. I've gotten to see some amazing people, some amazing places. You know, Coshocton, Ohio, I'd never been there. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Seneca County, an amazing place. So you travel the whole state. And then secondly, it's really a marketing issue, right? I think I have the strongest message in this campaign. So what I'm doing is I'm raising money. I've outraised everybody else in this race to actually be able to put the media effort out there when it matters. Not right now to artificially inflate a poll that won't really matter in May. So that's what I'm doing. The best part, honestly, is I get to do it with my wife of 32 years. She's with me everywhere I go. It's absolutely fantastic to be with her. Uh, she's as smart as they come, very engaged. So it's it's just really an honor to be able to do that. Nice to have a trusted campaign advisor, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. She's my secret weapon. So let's get back to politics and, and, and the country. You've said that when it comes to the U.S., the, the way they withdrew from Afghanistan was backward. Why was it backward? I didn't, I didn't go to, uh, like Jake Sullivan, I didn't, go, I didn't spend 17 years at Harvard writing white papers. What I do have is a little bit of common sense, okay? So if you're going to leave a country, right, that's not even have that debate. So move that debate aside. Should we leave or not leave? Move that aside for a second. Here's the conversation. You've decided to leave. How do you do it? Well, we have a giant Air Force base that's very easy to protect, uh, it, that we spent a fortune to build. Let's keep that open. Let's get all of our civilians out, American citizens. Let's use that place to vet all the allies that fought side by side with us. You know, we have a moral obligation to help the people that helped us. Let's vet them at Bagram and get them uh, moved on from there. Then let's get our $80 billion worth of equipment out of the country. It's offensive to every single person that pays taxes to this country that we would waste their money in that way. So we have to get our equipment. And you know what? I heard a story about President Trump talking about this very topic. And you know what he said? For 10 minutes, he talked about the importance of getting the tents out because these are beautiful big tents, right? They're weatherproof and they could be sold to hunters and campers, right? So he was obsessed with that level of detail. And then at the end, when all that is done, we withdraw our troops. And I think maybe we bring the argument back, says, hey, should we keep a presence at Bagram Air Force Base just to keep the Taliban in check and make sure that the country doesn't revert back into a terrorist nation? That's common sense. The problem is we got people like Wendy Sherman, who is a absolute uh, disaster. Jake Sullivan, I mentioned earlier, disaster. Uh, Anthony Blinken, worst secretary of state in U.S. history. And of course, the, the top of them all, Mark Milley, who seems to be somebody who's even a treasonous uh, head of the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff. All those people should be removed from office. You mentioned uh, Secretary of State Blinken. He was just recently testifying as we record this in front of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And one of the people who, who asked questions of him was Senator Portman. And 
Portman said something to the effect of, basically, he said, the Afghan army would not have folded had we maintained air support while this, this withdrawal was happening. But at some point, if we did withdraw completely, at what point is the Afghan army going to be responsible for themselves? We, we couldn't keep air support there forever. So after all the millions and billions of dollars we spent training them, why weren't they ready to fight for themselves? It wasn't ready. That it wasn't a scenario where they were ready to fight for themselves or not. I think that's a very dis, disservice to the to the Afghans that lost their lives. You know, hundreds of thousands of Afghanis lost their lives defending the country. I think to say, "Hey, you weren't strong enough to fight your country" is a little bit of an insult to them. The reality is this: what the Taliban heard from Donald Trump was, "You get out of line, and we will make you into a parking lot." They understood that. If they're not rash. The Taliban is not rational people like what you and I, who we socialize with. These are murderous terrorist thugs. They only understand the language of strength. What they heard from Joe Biden was weakness. And that's what caused them to take this, the country the speed at which they did. Like I said, there's a case to be made that we could have stayed in Bagram Air Force Base, providing limited air support and a check to the Taliban that says, Remember us? We're here, right? Okay, so that's what they needed to hear. But instead, they heard weakness. Again, look at who Biden has surrounded himself with. Blinken, Sullivan, and Wendy Sherman. I know them. These are people who are pure Harvard academics. They don't know how to go grocery shopping. All right, They don't know how to live in a common sense world. They're overeducated elites that, that uh, thought that they could white paper themselves into a withdrawal from Afghanistan. And we've seen this disastrous result. The Biden administration recently announced a series of vaccine mandates for federal workers, uh, federal contractors, healthcare workers, in addition to the grand mandate that employers with 100 or more employees will have to make sure workers are vaccinated or tested weekly. You are opposed to this. There's nothing more stupid than what I've seen come out of the Biden administration when it comes to these mandates. Listen, at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself a very simple question. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? Okay, that's the question we got to ask yourself. Well, we say, okay, well, we want to get more people vaccinated. Okay, that's the goal. Let's get more people vaccinated. I was vaccinated the first chance I could, right? So was my wife and so were my kids. My personal decision, because number one, I'm best equipped to decide what's good for me, not some little uh, elite in some far off capital, right? That's the premise of America. Number two, I know a little bit about sales, okay? <laughs> that's what I built my fortune on. All right, I, this is something I know. If you want to convince people who are hesitant about getting a vaccine, the last thing you do is bully them, shame them, and give them marching orders. It does not work. In fact, what they're doing is making more people hesitant to get the vaccine. What they should be saying is very simple. We think this vaccine is safe and effective, Maybe not everybody should get vaccinated. It's never supposed to be 100%, right? There are people who may have natural immunity, who have autoimmune disease, myriad of reasons. You know, healthcare is not homogeneous. So what we ask you to do as smart, independent Americans is to go consult with your doctor and make the best informed decision for yourself. Hard stop. If they just said that, you would see the vaccination rates in this country rise. Instead, I actually believe what they're trying to do is create a divisive issue where you pit Americans against each other. It's terrible. It's wrong. And on top of the fact that now with this, by the way, it's unconstitutional. It won't be passed. It'll never go into law. We shouldn't even waste energy talking about it because 
it's going to be stricken down. The president of the United States has no authority to do what he said he's going to do. It's just like the eviction moratorium that was ruled unconstitutional. But at the end of the day, the last thing businesses needed was another complication to their lives right now. Right To throw this burden on corporations and private businesses is obscene. This is the kind of stuff that people do who've never actually been in the real world of business. That's It's no surprise. What, what has Biden done his whole life? He's a creature of Washington, D.C. So none of us should be surprised by any of us. We can be appalled, and we are, but not surprised. The numbers for August weren't quite as stark, but inflation certainly has been on the rise over the last several months. Now, the Biden administration says that's because the economy is heating up and there are supply chain issues and that will eventually even itself out. And they hope to get back to that 2% target the inflation group that the Fed seems to like to have. But you really think this is a problem that's not going to straighten itself out. Well, it's not going to straighten itself out by itself. And it's being caused by the exact same policies. I want you to I want your viewers to understand something since the moment President Biden took office. Wages have gone up. So you think, well, that's good news. Wow, this is crazy. Bernie Marino just said that wages went up, right? He's praising Biden. Oh, no. They've gone up by about three to four times less than the rate of inflation. So what that means is that workers around America today, workers in Ohio, are seeing their paycheck be able to give them less every single day since this president took office. That's what inflation does. You look at things like the healthcare system, which has negotiated price increases of one and a half to two percent. But when inflation is five or six percent, you're having hospital systems that are going to go bankrupt by the end of this year when inflation continues to be as high as it is. So inflation is the worst possible tax. By the way, I also call total BS that inflation is 5.3, 5.4%. It is dramatically higher. It is dramatically higher. I think the government is purposely understating that rate of inflation. What they're doing is causing supply chain problems with all these COVID restrictions that you put in place. For example, if you run a factory, you have somebody that tests positive for COVID, you have to quarantine everybody who's been in contact with that person, whether they're vaccinated or not. Well, how do you make product? Try to buy a dishwasher today. You're talking about a 14, 15, 16 month wait when you pay a fortune for that dishwasher, by the way. Supply chain problems. You also have the United States government competing with private businesses on paying people to work. So instead of working, they're choosing the wrong alternative, which is to stay home, which they'll eventually find with the, uh, the private of the self-esteem that they crave for. So then if that weren't enough, the government is spending money like drunken teenagers that somehow stole their parents' American Express card, spending trillions and trillions of dollars, which of course caused more artificial demand. So all these things, three together, is creating a perfect storm of hyperinflation, which is where we're in today. Don't believe the government numbers. It's much more, believe what you see yourself, right? Believe what you see with your own eyes. Go to a restaurant and get the check and you blink a little bit, go to the grocery store, go to the gas station, try to buy a car, try to buy anything. And inflation is just going to kill us. And we have to reverse course on these policies immediately. Bernie Moreno, thanks so much for joining us and sharing some thoughts on some major issues coming up in this campaign. We're glad you could be with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. And again, to your viewers, if they could check out my website, BernieMoreno.com. I'm not taking corporate PAC money because, again, I'm not a hypocrite that says corporations are woke and doing all these bad things, but take their money. So we're building a grassroots campaign. There's a link there to get involved. There's a link there to contribute. We'd love uh, for uh, your viewers to help us out, make that happen. And again, thank you for Cranes. You guys are amazing, great reporters here in Northeast Ohio. 
Uh, you guys have been phenomenal about reporting around the need for innovation and just keep it going. You guys do a really, really good job. And as just somebody from Northeast Ohio, who cares? I really appreciate everything that Cranes does. Thank you for your kind words. And we want to thank everyone for joining us for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. We'll talk again soon.